0: Switched on Pop
1: Welcome to Switch on Pop, I'm songwriter Charlie Harding
2: And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan
1: Mr. Sloan, is today your birthday? Is tomorrow your birthday?
2: Today is my birthday
1: Happy birthday! Making a podcast uh, Don't do it
2: if you sing that song, I will. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Well, I don't want to get in any trouble here, but I'm kind of already underwater because a few weeks back when we were talking about The weekend's Blinding Lights and analyzing some mm-hmm. 808 bass lines, we made a brief allusion to the song Bang by AJR. Yeah.
2: I remember this.
1: Yeah, you called it post-rock polka. I think I was thinking of it as kind of like a polka trap kind of sound. And
2: mm. we got some blowback. Wait, 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 no, 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 no. You, wait, 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 wait. you called it polka. You called it post-rock polka.
1: I thought you did.
2: No, 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 no. Don't try and twist this. Don't try and fake news this around. You, that was your appellation. I'm going back to the tape. We're fact checking right, this. Let's go to the tape. Let's go to the tape. Yeah, and now we're in like a very different style than Ariana Grande's R&B. We're in some, I don't know what we call this, post rock polka or something. Okay, you doctored that recording. You. Uh, <laughs> that sounds
1: like your voice.
2: Pitch shifted, uh, you know, deep faked this. I, I don't. Uh, this. Oh, gosh. Okay.
1: We got called out for this. Okay. T- because. <laughs> this is not post rock polka. There's something, there's more going on here. And, you know, AJR are actually putting out a new record. They've just put out OK Orchestra. Bang was a huge hit last year. Went platinum, went to eight on the Billboard. It was ubiquitous. And we actually have the opportunity to speak with AJR. And I'm just feeling like kind of awkward and I don't know what to do. And I'm just, I wanted to come to you and be like, how should we think about this song bang. Mm. Like, it's a little carnival-esque, like, with fresh ears. What do I want to say to them? Like, I feel like I threw them under the bus.
2: You're, you're feeling the need to make amends? You know, Selena Gomez is a bad liar, and I'm a bad musicologist. This was <laughs> some lazy, adjectival word salad. And uh, also, I owe an apology to all the polka fans out there for, oh, for real maligning uh, an incredibly Vivacious and historic musical genre, but but g- give me tell me a little bit who is what is AJR? Maybe that will help me <laughs> come to right come around the horn. Well, well AJR, of course,
1: uh, brothers Adam, Jack, and Ryan met. They're from New York City, your hometown. They, uh, you know, the three brothers have started out playing music on the streets and uh, eventually put out a bunch of records. They're now on their fourth OK Orchestra. <laughs> And they're known for high entertainment value, lots of energy in their music. And yeah, man, I don't know. This track, like, it has this, like, it's carnivalesque to me. It reminds me of, like, for the benefit of Mr. Kite off of the Beatles' Sgt. Peppers or something.
2: And of Henry the Horse the wall. This is what you'd call a a music hall vibe, perhaps. What do you mean? A music hall was like the vaudeville stage Hmm. in Britain. It was like where you would go to see comedy and theater and music. And a lot of the music had this kind of jaunty brass and drums, peppy kind of feel. And because the Beatles grew up with it as kids, and Paul's dad, I think, was like in a music hall band, like that that seeped into their sound and and probably a lot of other musicians (laughs) as well
1: and maybe that's like a little bit of the vibe i'm catching here as well because bang does feel like this is a big celebratory kind of we're all marching along together here we go As I said yeah high energy, high entertainment value here.
2: it's very theatrical, you know it hmm. feels like a a show. It feels like dare I say a little bit like a Broadway musical
1: hmm yeah, you might I know you uh you
2: have a, a fondness for the musical theater world i am i'm i'm a lover of I'm a lover of the great white way i uh have written maybe a, a musical that <laughs> we don't need to get into and uh and I love the I love the drama and I love the theatricality of of this style of music and I think you get that in AJR and in and doing in doing so maybe they're tapping into a really long history in American popular music where hit songs draw on the theater hmm. or actually just come right out of the theater. That's that's been going on since the beginning of the popular music industry.
1: Right, right, right. Are there any songs that you're thinking of in particular?
2: One that comes to mind is one of my favorite songs ever. And the version I love is by Nina Simone on her 1965 album, I Put a Spell on You. It's feeling good. And I'm
0: feeling good.
1: Oh, yeah, I love this one. The descending horn bass line, her, her just exceptional vocal. Yeah, it's beautiful.
2: So you know the song, but what you might not know is that it originated in a musical, actually a British musical, actually huh? a British musical that was meant to kind of bring back this musical tradition that we were just talking about. Huh? And when you listen to the original cast recording of the song, sung by Cy Grant, I mean, you can hear it's it's the same tune, but man it's sung in a very different way it really speaks to the difference between these two worlds between the dramatic world of musical theater and the more kind of immediate and visceral world of pop let's check out that original cast recording for a sec fish in the sea you know how i feel river running free you know how i feel blossom on the tree you know how i feel
1: That is theatrical, orchestral, that is... uh, Almost
2: operatic. Yeah, Yeah.
1: very different vibe than Simone.
2: No, she sings it in this different way, and the arrangement is so different, right? It's like kind of groovier and slinkier, and this song has such a long legacy. I mean, everybody covers this. Every American Idol contestant sings it at some point, Hmm. and... Lots of musicians sample it into these radically new contexts, hmm. like some of which are very surprising, like Flo Rida. How I Feel. Uh, I'm not even ready for this.
1: Ooh, <laughs> dude, that's fun. <laughs> I don't. I don't Low know if it a again, just this, but
2: <laughs> it's fun. I mean, it just to me, it speaks to like even if you might not be aware of it, the the musical theater tradition is like such a integral part of the sound of contemporary popular music. Right. And so, I would love to hear like if that's something that AJR thinks about when they're putting these songs together. Like, what's their background? Are, is this a conscious choice? Is it unconscious? Like, where does the sound come from? I'm super curious to hear more and to think about their position as part of this much longer story. So Polka no more, I want to I want to get the real the real dirt on AJR.
1: Okay, well, I feel like we can potentially redeem ourselves. It's the day before their album release when this episode drops, the album will be out and I'm going to be speaking with Jack and Ryan from AJR this afternoon. I think what i first need to do nate though is check in with are we excused from the the terrible label that we gave bang see if we can uh revive ourselves and your musicological pedigree
2: fingers crossed chuck
1: Okay, guys, so I have an admission to make. Nate and I, on a previous episode, absentmindedly labeled Bang as post-rock polka, carnival trap and got some real blowback. And so, Jack, Ryan, I just want to start with an apology, especially since Nate identified that perhaps musical theater is the more appropriate influence here. Oh, wow. Interesting. Well, I like carnival trap. I didn't hate that. (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm surprised you got blowback for it, but,
3: but um, I'm wondering who gave you blowback yeah. too like, uh. the, the carnival stands. Yeah, yes, sir. So. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, we're huge fans of musical theater. It's kind of ingrained in us. That was kind of our first love uh, of of music because I think they can be so unabashedly genuine. and I, I hear a lot, like because we write songs for other artists, a, a lot of what is thrown around is, no, that feels too genuine. It feels too sincere. Like we got to cloud it in some kind of like, uh, Irony, you know, and I think what we love about musical theater is that when, when the lead character sings the want song, it's just like, I'm not going to apologize for it. I want this. You you know, you sing it really loudly. And so for us, Bang was kind of like the evil villain walks in in like Les Mis or Wicked or something. The villain walks in uh, and you need to pay the rent or something. And, and, and that's the song that plays in the background. And we thought, how do we take that vibe and make it palatable for people that listen to the radio and listen to Spotify playlists in
0: 2021. Here we go. best face everybody pretend you this song. Let's
4: go bang.
1: I want to talk about the sounds and how you craft this world. But to start, Jack, what is this
4: song, Bang, about? Bang, I guess... Is another version of a topic that we really, really like to talk about, and so you know, every every artist has their kind of their lane that they go off, and they say, "Oh, that's the artist that talks about this." They talk about this, and we have many, many times touched on growing up in in whatever way we, we've approached that. And this specific time was really that exact moment from being a kid to basically having to be an adult. We've moved out. It just really doesn't make any sense anymore for us to keep living as children. It's time to mature. Um, even though we really, really don't want to, we're very, you know, we're heavily resisting it, but it gets to that moment where you just have to do it. I get up, I get down, and I'm jumping around. And the rumpus and rock it's a comfortable night. Been a hell of a ride, but I'm thinking it's time to grow. So if we're going to do it, then we should do it, you know, with a bang. And we should try to be positive and go out mm. in style. That's really the kind of thesis of the song. Right.
1: And, and Jack, so you and Ryan live together in New York City. Yep. And the song almost feels like the, okay, yeah, we're moving out of home. We're moving in together. Uh, you have this very winky line about bringing quinoa into yeah. your kitchen.
4: So I got an apartment across from the park Brook quinoa in my fridge Still I'm not feeling grog. Right.
1: Is that to you? Is is that like the ultimate symbol of adulthood? Is like now I'm going to start eating healthy grains?
4: <laughs> yeah, that, that that idea is. We went through. A, we we definitely went through a couple foods. We we literally sat down in a bed and said, okay, like what are the adult foods? Kale was you know yeah. kale came up, uh, and then I think quinoa in my fridge is just like you can kind of understand what I'm saying, but also you kind of can't. It, it's, it 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 flowed really well in that lyric. So I guess yeah, quinoa bowl feels very adult to me. I definitely wasn't <laughs> eating it until. Recently, when I saw other adults eating it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I regret to inform you that upon my searching, there are other songs that reference quinoa.
1: I thought there wouldn't be any others. Gucci Mane has Money Machine. Ah.
0: With the my blending machine.
1: Glass Animals has Melon and the Coconut.
0: Too much quinoa and
1: but yours is the most popular, according to uh, Genius.
4: Put quinoa in my fridge, still I'm not feeling grown.
1: All right, so we have this this world of show tunes, big over-the-top sounds. Ryan, how do you unite these things to take your childhood love for this, this craft, which is, it, it can be cliche, if you will. Right. Yeah. How do you translate that into a contemporary pop production?
3: Oh, that's a great question, and it's something that we try to do... Uh, w- kind of every album because we're always drawing from stranger influences, whether it's musical theater, we're really influenced by like uh, Israeli
1: hip hop production. (laughs) Are we hearing Israeli hip hop production? How is that making its way into it? What does that sound?
3: Not bang specifically, but it makes its way into a lot of our albums. They have, do you know Israeli hip hop at all or no?
1: I don't know. Please give us an. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. So they they are very big on tempo switch ups. They're very big on vibe switch ups throughout. Any given song is gonna have like three or four totally different vibes, but they meld so well. Yeah, they're well. so
4: good at seamlessly doing it where, you know, two seconds mm. after it switches up, you're like, oh, wait, the, the tempo just kind of switched up. It, it, yeah, it, it's really expertly done.
3: Exactly, yeah. Like, you, you can do tempo switch-ups like in sicko mode. It's basically two songs in one, and that has a really profound effect. But you can tell, here's where one song ends and here's where the other starts. The Israelis have some ability to make it all one fluid song
4: and make you never mm. bored of the vibe. Is there an example? Yeah, Tudo bomb is the perfect example.
0: you're not afraid of got
1: Okay, so that was a fun detour, but let's go back to modernizing the Broadway thing. Ryan, how do you make this work for your audience? It's a tough thing because
3: now we're we're playing for, you know, bigger crowds. It's a tough thing to know. Are they going to think this is as cool as we think it is? And so I think you have to dress it up a little bit. I think that's the best way to put it. You You have to, if you have this Broadway sound, you have to dress it in clothes that appear like they belong with everybody else. And so, okay, I, I'm hearing uh, trap drums, let's say. that That's kind of like the most basic thing probably we did for Bang. It, originally, it was more of like an a acoustic kind of drum setting. It literally felt Broadway. And then having the trap beat the boom. Da-da-da-ga rolling hi-hats and, like, more of a trap snare. Immediately, okay, now I understand this could only be made right now. It sounds very right now, even though it's juxtaposed with something that
1: was popular, like, a 100 years ago. So we've taken these contemporary trap drums, we've married them with these Broadway sort of orchestral sounds. The whole thing is very over the top. You know, the song is literally called Bang. Mm -hmm. I'm curious... Jack, what is it about Broadway that can be both so over the top but also perfect at communicating such like an individual intimate moment? I think it's the same
3: reason we love movies so much and we both went to film school. It's kind of in the same mm. world where like it can be really specific and very considered and applied to just one story and yet it can be accessible on an enormous level. And so, like, let's say something like Finding Nemo, right? It's technically a story about fishes and in Australia, but in, in, a, in a way bigger sense, it's about fatherhood and losing somebody you love. And so I think the best songs, and I think Broadway, the, the best Broadway songs, the... One day mores of the world are are really good at, okay, there's a specific story about the French Revolution, but also it's one day more until whatever you can relate, you know, <laughs> whatever you want it to be, and you can relate on any level.
0: one more day And I think oh, a right.
3: lot of people sometimes make the mistake in pop music of thinking the the way to be most relatable is to go the broadest. and the most the most broad thing you could say is, Don't leave me. You know, I love you or or something. And (laughs) I think often we try to stay away from that because I think often the most relatable stuff can be the most specific stuff if you strike the right nerve.
4: Mm -hmm. Perfectly said. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
3: shocked. (laughs) Jack is silent. I, I
4: yeah, that's it.
3: Yeah. And I think that's probably really ingrained in what you're talking about in pretend you know this song, right. everybody. <laughs> where we, we do we just don't have the ability to boast or you know. Flex, and, yeah. We so often try to write lyrics that are kind of cocky or flexing and then one of us just shuts
4: it down. Yeah, saying, like, no, we re-listen yeah. and we get shivers and we're like, no, 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 oh my god, turn it off, turn it off. <laughs> yeah. If I'm right, you all used to busk together, right? Yeah. We started out street performing. And what about
1: being a street performer? Do you think has taught you in terms of being now entertainers with a you know much larger audience and you know the thought of trying to write singles and hits that are going to get played on the radio? Is that something we're hearing translating on Bang? From the, uh, do we do we hear your busking experience? Yeah,
4: well, I mean, I, I could just start off the first part of that question. It was literally throwing us into the deep end of the pool. That's exactly what it was. It was performing to an audience that wants nothing to do with you. You know, the, the businessman that's on his phone that's just trying to bypass you so he can get to work. Our job was to be interesting enough and and be you know exciting enough to make him be like okay I can be a couple minutes late for work and we did that at times so after we got good enough so then it was the idea of okay if we can do that at at this young an age then imagine what we can do when people actually pay money to go see you so it's we, we kind of got mm. that out of the way and got those nerves out of the way and then it really did prepare us for the live you know on stage performing but in terms of bang you could talk about
3: yeah I I think it affects every song we make and I think bang is a really good example of. Uh, what makes you turn your head? Uh, and and that that was the thing we were most excited about. We wrote the track first uh, before we had any top line, and that's actually really rare for us. Most of our singles, we've come up with the concept first, and then the track follows. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. with Bang, we just kind of had a feeling this track, this boom 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 boom, would would make people turn. I was their skeptical heads. at
4: first, by the way. You were I yeah, was yeah, skeptical. Jack was skeptical. In terms of a single, it was the weirdest uh, production that Ryan had ever brought to me. He literally just had the horns. Dum, dum. And I said, rhyme like, <laughs> when it's time to make a Broadway show, that's the first thing that's going in. Like, that's, that's, that's number one. <laughs> uh, and he said, no, I really think this can, this can translate. And I was like, okay. And then we put it away for a while, and then we brought it back when it was time to actually really write Bang. And as soon as he put the trap drums over it, I was like, oh, my God. I, okay, now I'm imagining a party. Like, yeah. now, now I could see yeah. people dancing to this. This
0: is so sick. <laughs> <laughs> There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. <laughs>
4: Man, I'm up to something. Up to something. Ooh,
1: dee, la, dee, do. Thank you The song is this coming of age story. It's really bombastic. and it and as we established, it's also quite intimate. It feels kind of like your ode to New York City. One of the things that's fun about your productions is that it's riddled with Easter eggs, lyrical and musical. I was hoping that we might be able to crack a few of those open. One of them, of course, being the background voice that announces, here we go.
2: Here we go.
4: What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the story behind that. Okay, yes. So we had written the song and we had a placeholder. I think one of us going here we go and metronome or here we go trying to do an imitation of you know a, someone with a much lower <laughs> register, um, and we knew we wanted it to be someone else. So first we tried our dad who does a lot of backup vocals on a lot of our songs that we put out. He does like a lot of crowd vocals <laughs> because he has the lowest voice He's out of any. He's an awful singer. That Ryan auto tunes like in crazily, like to try to You're get throwing your dad under the bus, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> knows. Yeah. Um, no, no. Yeah. He's, he's fully aware. But uh, so that didn't, it didn't work. And then we asked a neighbor of ours who was another guy who had a lower register and that didn't work. And we said, okay, like, what should we do? What should we do? And then we realized that about four or five years ago uh, during one of our New York shows, we had remixed the phrase, stand clear of the closing doors, please, which is the phrase that is the famous <laughs> New York City subway phrase that plays before the doors close. And uh, we did that on stage and I guess the video got out on YouTube and the guy who does that voice, the guy whose voice that is, he wrote to us, he wrote us an email saying, hey, I love, I'm a big fan of you guys. I love what you did. Let's keep in touch. (laughs) And then like four years later, we were like, who should do this? And we, it kind of hit us. Oh my God, like the best voice actor ever that we hear every day, he's available. So we wrote to him and he sent it back the same day and we dropped it in. Here we go. And it was like one of those rare moments that was like, the light started glowing. Of that was the missing piece. You know, that's what the song needed, and uh, it, it's become every single person's favorite part of the song. So we're we're so happy that worked out.
1: I mean, it's kind of a, a magical moment. I don't imagine that the voice of New York City. And I mean, if anyone has the voice of New York City, it's probably the New York subway guy. Right? Like if, that doesn't end up on a track very frequently, so it's special. Yeah. You also have these other Easter eggs. Again, sort of thinking on the Broadway world, you will often have musical interconnections and lyrical interconnections between your larger body of work. So for those who are really big AJR fans, you can geek out and find these sort of inner references. Another one you mentioned is you have the announcer say, Metronome.
4: Metronome. Man, I'm up to something.
1: And then we get these ticking sounds. That's a sound that seems to recur in your work. Yeah, that's
3: an allusion back to uh, The Click, which was our second album where the kind of the heartbeat of the entire album was this metronome and it was this metaphor of, should I go for more clicks this year or should I follow the click in my ear? Which is to say like, should I go for the the easiest, lowest hanging fruit of getting famous or should I figure out exactly what I wanna do in this life and even if it takes a little bit longer Mm -hmm. and if I have to sacrifice more, should I go for that? but to answer your question, yeah, we we love diving deep into, you know, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and and the MCU and like all these these uh franchises that have uh easter eggs. Um I think that's so fun and I think it's it's kind of fun to bring that over to music and reward fans that have been with us for the last 8 years. Um cuz it's especially for like a pop band like us it's rare to keep fans for that long um, and so we feel mm. really grateful that we have fans that listen to every you know meticulously to every lyric uh, in, in of every song in every album and we want to reward people that do that
1: mm. yeah, I caught another one was the, the lyric could Lie Here Forever is, a, is another reference to your song Karma not
4: go away, can I lie here forever you say.
3: Yeah, I think we, we did a post. I forget how many. Maybe there were like 12 Easter eggs in Bang. Remember that? Of like all lyrics that had come before. <laughs> it's, it's Charlie blown away. <laughs> that's not. We just think that it's
4: so fun to watch people try to figure it out and be kind of the mastermind behind and, it. And be wrong so often too. Yeah, yeah Our fans, it's, that's our favorite thing. It's like, no, I found the Easter eggs. It's this and this, and this is a secret meaning for this. And we're like, no, that's not, that's not it at all. Try again. You know, it, yeah. it gives them something fun to do. So there's
1: this there's this world building that's happening in your work and maybe we could we could sort of carry that on into uh, your next single off of OK Orchestra, which is the song way less sad
4: don't you love it way less sad
1: What is way less sad? Communicating.
3: Yeah. So lyrically, uh, we wrote this song about kind of where we're at right now, um, both as a society and also just where we're at mentally, where we've kind of figured out how to kind of be happy, and the answer was lowering our expectations a lot and lowering the bar, (laughs) Um, and we're, we're now kind of at this place in the song and in the on the course of the album. It's towards the end of the album where we're we're not all the way better like now our problems haven't all been solved mm. but we're not all so doomed like we were last year anymore and so mm. the song is kind of pondering like are we allowed to celebrate that little win and in the song we're we're basically saying yeah yeah come on we could celebrate that little win
1: yeah i'm curious i mean jack for you it seems to be there's this contrast of very sullen moments and then joyous moments uh, in this song. Can you speak to how you feel the, the music sort of paints that
4: arc? Yeah, that's something that we do very often and something we're very, very comfortable doing. Uh, like like we had said before, we're not really ones to flex and say, this is great, this is going to be great because that's just very unrealistic to who we are. So in our music, we naturally kind of jump to a lot of juxtaposition. We feel that that paints a really, really cool picture. In music, that's realistically how life is. You know, uh, wondering, should I have, you know, th- th- this is really great in my life. I'm feeling really good. Oh, but this is really bad. So I can't be fully happy. But no, no, but this is really good. Oh, but God, I should move because I- I'm not really, excited about where I am um and I think that that's just the most realistic look at life and I think that's why I mean I've been looking through a lot of YouTube comments um on the video and that specifically is what fans really were drawn to in this specific song I think a lot of them were like this is probably the most realistic look at depression or a bad day or just life in general Mm. is that trade-off and like what should I do you know so I I think we're just trying to go as realistic as possible with that Mm. Rania, could you speak to that as well? Like, what was this
1: a song that you were writing, wanting to speak to that larger feeling, or is, is, is this also a, a personal experience that's going on? So, this
3: uh, let me let me take you back because the story of this song is kind of interesting, and then I'll get I'll lead to that. Sure. So, it started eight years, eight years ago, eight years, yeah. yeah, eight years ago with um, a sample that we found from My Little Town by Simon and Garfunkel. And it's at the very end of the song, like during the fade out, it's this horn line. And we remember hearing it growing up, and it was one of our favorite songs. And we had to turn the volume up at yeah. the end of the song in order to actually hear our favorite part. You know? Yeah, and, and we, we just thought, like, why isn't this the main hook of the song? And so at a certain point eight years ago, we decided, oh, we're going to make a track where this is the main hook of the song. And we made this, like, disco track, and then we kind of forgot about it for some reason. Then fast forward a few years, Kaigo. His label reached out to us, because we do a lot of writing for other artists too. His label reached Mm -hmm. out to us saying, do you have, uh, we have a, we have a track that Kaigo made. Do you have top line? Like, do you want to write a song over this track? And that's when we ended up Mm -hmm. writing, Don't You Love It? No, I Ain't Happy Yet but I'm way less sad. And we sent it back, and they were like, ah, no, that's okay, we, we don't want it. And, <laughs> and we said, okay, that's fine, we'll, we'll, t- we'll take it for our collection, because we thought that chorus is kind of a, a good little nugget. Um, and then fast forward a few more years, Cardi B's label, Atlantic, reached out to us saying, do you have a track for Cardi B and top Line because she's looking for a new single? And that's when we pulled out that Simon and Garfunkel sample, turned it into more of a hip-hop song, For, for some reason we thought Cardi B would want Simon and Garfunkel's I,
4: I personally I thought it would be really funny if she cut the song and in interviews to say that they sampled this, this certain Simon and Garfunkel song I would have thought that would have been a really cool interview moment so. yeah.
3: but anyway so she didn't want it and she ended up putting out, out uh, WAP instead so we realized we totally missed we the
4: mark we missed the
3: mark on that yeah um <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you guys didn't write that. <laughs> so they didn't want it, and then we were like, oh, okay, that, that's okay, we'll take it back. Um, and so we, at a certain point, we took this kaigo chorus, this Cardi B track, married them together, and then made mm. it actually about something.
1: In the arc of the song, we have, I feel like, the lowest moment in the pre-chorus, where it's just a total downer. Actually, in, sorry, in, in the chorus. The chorus is a downer. Mm-hmm.
4: Don't you love it, don't you love it? No, I ain't happy yet.
1: Like, what have you done? You've like, you've really brought me down. And uh, and then it's actually in the post-chorus where we have this like big bombastic, what feels like almost like an orchestral EDM moment where we get to all just enjoy this feeling.
3: I remember you guys did that episode, I think, with Emily Warren about like the the death of the pop chorus, right? and And she talked yes. about how now, like pop choruses go down. and then then there's the big payoff after. We kind of wanted to do a play on that. So the first chorus is a breakdown. Uh, where it gets emotional and you realize, oh, there's some emotional gravity to the song. It's not just a party song. And then it explodes into the into the post chorus. And then from then on, it's pretty much all just like happy, happy. Now that we've established <laughs> this is an emotional
1: concept. Now it's okay to dance to it. One of the reasons why I thought it'd be fun to chat with you all is you like to break down your own songs. you have series on YouTube where you just like dive into the session. and if you want like a whole nother level, of depth you can go watch you know hours of you guys just like getting into the weeds and there was this moment ryan i think you had said maybe in in in, in talking about breaking down bang how you feel like in pop music it's often seen as cool to be like i don't know like didn't even try like the song just, pff, the song just came out there it was it's a great hit boom whatever and you take a really different approach. You have a very different philosophy. I'm wondering, Ryan, if you could speak to it first, and Jack as well.
3: Sure. After. Yeah. I, I honestly don't even remember saying that, but I'm sure. I'm sure I did. Um, yeah. I, I think. I think a, a lot of times, also in the world we come from the alternative, uh, you know, world. It's it. It's kind of cool to be like, yeah, I go on stage and I do whatever, or I, I yeah, I, I just threw down a couple instruments and put it out. I think we we take a lot of pride in that we've we've considered each detail of the song. And I think a lot of times when people talk about the album is is dead, you know, and, and oh, nobody listens to full albums anymore. I, I truly believe that's because the wrong albums for the streaming age are actually being made. I think a lot mm. of times now songs are just like pure loops where you kind of know from the 42nd mark okay, the rest of the song is kind of going to be all this vibe. Not sure I really need to finish it. I'm not sure I really need to listen to the rest of the album. I kind of can guess what's going to happen. And that's a a vibe unto itself, but I think we really pride ourselves on the fact that um, you don't know what's going to happen. There's always going to be some weird payoff in the bridge or towards the end of the song or towards the end of the album. There's like a real reason that you have to invest yourself in this song and this whole album and listen all the way through.
1: Jack, is that why when I'm listening to Way Less Sad, it, it feels very sonically connected to Bang?
4: Oh, like It feels
1: like I'm being introduced to something. This is part of a continuous work.
4: Oh, yeah. That was definitely uh, on our mind. I mean, kind of on a base level in terms of the horns as well. You know, those bombastic, massive, you know, explosive horns. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's something that we think about in all of our music. Let's just try to, you know make it connect. Let's make sure people, let's not quite bring it to an end so there can definitely be, you know, a chapter two that we can latch on to. I think that's something that we absolutely think about.
1: You have this record coming out tomorrow. Actually, I think, you know, by the time this episode drops, it will already be out in the world. Okay, Orchestra, Mm -hmm. how did you go about thinking about making an album for the streaming age to sort of counter this issue of things that just aren't
3: sticking? Yeah, I, I think it's good to look at like Hamilton, Hamilton has a crazy amount of streams. There, it, that, that makes no sense in the streaming age, why Hamilton would have so many <laughs> streams. And it's because there's a story that you can follow through. There's a payoff, there's a reason to listen to it in order. And I think we really consider that when we're making albums. We, we start the album with an overture that's like a, a electronic version of a, a pretty like standard Broadway overture uh, where it samples songs and it creates a whole new original piece of music. <laughs> There are arcs and then it ends in a, in a way that relates back to the rest of the album. I think we really think about it as one cohesive
4: thing. Yeah, and I also, I mean, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but we've gotten lucky because we have especially low attention spans, uh, you know, in, in general, <laughs> uh, maybe even lower than the average person. Um, so I, I think that that definitely crosses over to when we're writing music, you know, if, if you know, if, if we've done a quarter or a third of the song and we and we like that, and like Ryan was saying before, we're generally gonna get overly bored with what we did, so we're gonna want to totally switch it up and do something new. So you definitely hear constant switch ups throughout the album, and I think that was kind of by accident when we first started writing. Like when we were writing the click, you know, we kind of did a lot of switch ups just because we really wanted to do a lot of different things, and then we realized, wow, a lot of other people have, I guess, short attendance spans <laughs> too, or they want to <laughs> latch on to that as well. They want to hear a million different things too. So that kind of has a uh, benefit us throughout these years
1: yeah there's definitely a, a maximalist sort of production technique which is there's there's all this little ear candy to keep you interested but at the same time it seems as though each of these songs acts almost as a character uh you know you spoke of bang sort of being like almost like the villain song way less sad right uh feels like that's You, know, you said that's coming towards the the end of the album there's 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 some resolution that we sort of like have found our emotional catharsis and it's being uh just kind of even keeled right <laughs> uh uh, you called the the record OK Orchestra. I'm guessing this is a nod to Radiohead?
4: In I guess in a way. It's so funny. And, and this is so not believable, but we were coming up with names for the album, and we originally had a different name called um, uh, Mad Orchestra. And that was yeah. after we had bang and we really assumed that a lot of the album would sound like bang and that ended up not being true at all like we we assumed okay let's let's kind of cross over that villain like weird bombastic sound into other songs and i think a lesson that ryan and i have to learn over and over and over again is you we can never plan what an album is going to sound like we're literally going to go you know uh, maybe the themes throughout but in terms of like sonically production wise the songs are going to be pretty <laughs> different throughout, so you can't sure, call it sure. an entire album "mad" and "angry." So that that just didn't work. So we needed a more general word, and then I think we were literally like at the dog park one day, and we were like, "Okay, orchestra." That sounds really great. And I think <laughs> like a day later, we talked to our manager, and he was like, "Oh, you know, okay, computer." And we were like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> like it, I know, I know. It's one of the most <laughs> famous albums written." Um, but uh, no, that it, it, it honestly was not a nod. It, it, it it's it it just actually worked really well in that moment. And now, I mean. I guess now we could say it's a nod, you know, <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, we'll say yeah. so,
1: yeah. I mean, well, it feels like it's communicating sort of the exact opposite of what, okay, Computer was trying to establish, which of course, you know, becomes one of the most successful albums, in uh, critically, of, uh, you know, the last many decades, and marks a transition from studio-recorded music into computer-recorded music. And yet, when we're listening to Bang, when we're listening to Way Less Sad, I hear definitely the influence of contemporary computer-sequenced music but it's all orchestra. You're taking a sort of back to an older style of production it seems. How do you put that together? How do you mash those up? Are you getting are you going in the studio with big orchestras and tracking them? Like how does this how does this come together?
3: No. <laughs> no, not at all. We've recorded orchestra once in our life and it was for neo theater and, and it was now, truly
4: the coolest moment of our entire life. It really was. <laughs> it was yeah. amazing. We we went into a real studio yeah. with a real orchestra. Uh.
3: And then this year with the pandemic, it felt wrong to actually put all these people in the same room. And so we had to do it sure. either all digitally um, with synthesizers and, and and samples and stuff or get a cellist that's in Santa Fe and a violinist that's in LA and record everything remotely, which we did for a couple songs. Um, but yeah. to be honest, the the sound that we've stumbled upon, this orchestra stuff, um, I think it's just what like looks best on us. It's kind of just like... Um, like Jerry Seinfeld, he he has a quote about like why he doesn't curse in uh, in his stand-up, and it's just he he says it's like uh, it just doesn't look good on him. It just it's like he's wearing a vest that doesn't fit him or something. Um, I think we found that making music that's too electronic and too to the grid feels wrong, and making music that's too acoustic feels wrong, and we found some hybrid of like mixing hip hop and and very. Uh, old-fashioned, dense orchestral
4: sounds that just kind of looks right on us. It's also such a shortcut to emotion, you know, we've we found. Like, I mean, a violin alone is such a... I mean, this is kind of a dumb thing to say, but violin alone is just the epitome of tears. You know, if you're trying to get something across and make someone feel something in, in a song, as soon as three violins come in, that's just going to put a stamp on I'm it crying. and say, yep, that's going to do it. So that's something that we've really found. There, there's really emotional songs on this album that just have an outro of pure strings that just make you want to cry. So we we, we found we really played into that for sure. <laughs> it seems like a
1: logical point for you all to end up at from a love of musical theater to an early start in busking like you know anyone who's playing music for people on the street like probably actually just wishes they had the giant orchestra behind them supporting the music and <laughs> and now you, and now you can do it you just throw it you know you call up someone from santa fe and then you saw someone from elsewhere and yeah. you put it all together in computer and now your digital orchestra can travel anywhere yeah, yeah.
3: exactly yeah in retrospect it kind of seems obvious that we would end up here but it took like 15 years of experimenting with all different types of genres
1: to end up here I want to end with a clip from your song, Three O'Clock Things, which has a nod to another popular musical.
4: If I keep on politics, the hits, you,
1: you noted earlier the success of Hamilton as an album, and I hope OK Orchestra does the same for y'all. Jack, Ryan, thanks for joining me.
3: <laughs> thanks so much. Thanks for having Thank us. You.
1: This episode of Switched on Pop was produced by Bridget Armstrong, Sloane Sloan, and me, Charlie Harding. We're engineered by Brandon McFarland, illustrations by Iris Gottlieb, social media by Abby Barr, and our executive producers are Nishat Kerwa and Hannah Rosen. We are a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network and a production of Vulture.
2: Hit us up on the socials. You know where to find us. It's at Switched on Pop on Instagram and Twitter. We love hearing from you, and we're always posting Fun illustrations excerpts from shows random stuff you know i mean i don't i don't need to describe twitter to you you know what it is (laughs) and we will be back in another week with a piping hot episode exploring a song that we immediately knew we had to cover on the show as soon as we heard it texts were flying fast and furious it's silk sonic leave the door open we'll see you there till then thanks Thanks for listening. listening